Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Piper. Um, so, my name is Nick. That's the, probably the most outrageous introduction I've ever had. Um, <laughs> but I am uh, excited and humbled to get to open up the word this morning um, together and uh, look at uh, the next couple, or the next beatitude um, in Matthew 5. So, um, if, if you've been alive the last uh, probably 40, 50 years, you've, you've seen some pretty radical cultural transformations uh, within American culture. Um, over, the, over, over the last 40, 50 years, um, one of these changes that we've uh, experienced pretty drastically is, is how, how Americans self-perceive how you view yourself. Um, in 1963, psychologists polled a large group of American teenagers and they asked the question, are you an important person? Seems like a really basic, simple question. 12% of those polled answered, yes, I am an important person. So 1963, um, 30 years later, 1993, the same question was asked and this time 80% of, of teenagers polled uh, said, yes, I am an important person. So that was almost 30 years ago, 80%. So I, I bet, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty certain the number this year, I mean, if you were to poll now, it's astronomically pretty close to 100%. Um, and so one of the things that we've seen is self-esteem um, is, is something that's kind of at the forefront of our culture um, and something that doesn't, it almost seems to be um, a huge shift to where it's become more of an issue. In 1962, there were zero self-esteem articles in education journals. In 1992, there were 2,500 written per year. Um, in 2006, 51% of 25-year-olds polled, so a little bit older, a little bit more mature, um, they said that being famous was an important life goal for them. Um, 25 year olds, um, more than half, 51% said that being famous was an important life goal. So I, over the years, I've had conversations with many different teenagers. Um, fortunately, some of the, the, these, our teenagers at Crosspoint don't fall into this category, but we've, I've come across teenagers and asked them the question, hey, what, like, what, do you, what do you wanna do after high school? What are you passionate about? What do you see yourself doing after high school? And, and maybe two, two out of five say something, something along the lines of, I wanna be YouTube famous. Um, and so at first I was like, you can do that? Like you can, you can make a living on YouTube? And it, it's, it's, this is, it's a fascinating and, and really a sad circle of reality that, that nowadays um, people make millions of dollars documenting their lives 
on social media and people watch it and they think that this is reality, um, that what these people post about these, they, they record the mundane activities of their lives and, and people, people love it. Um, kids are eating it up uh, and, and that's what they've aspired to is the apex of their life is to be YouTube famous. Um, so today, um, America's never been more aggressive, hardworking, self-promoting, and self-assured than it is today. Culturally, we've oriented ourselves towards victory, success, and conquering. Um, this, this narcissistic way has been growing and shifting our culture um, all around us. So one of the questions that I think we need to ask is how, how can this overinflated view of who we, who we think we are um, not affect our relationships with God, our families, and, and, and those around us. So, um, like we said earlier, we're, we're in the book of Matthew. We've been there for a couple months, um, and uh, we're, we're now um, getting into the Sermon on the Mount. So the Beatitudes are the intro of uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, and uh, these are eight different blessings um, that, that Jesus, um, that Jesus uh, states in the intro of this sermon. Um, so last week we talked about those uh, who are poor in spirit. Um, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who, who mourn will be comforted. Um, and then today we're gonna look at um, those, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Um, and so it's a pretty, pretty likely assumption for us to make that meekness probably wasn't a popular to- topic uh, in Jesus' day and, day and age. Um, and based on the stats and examples that I just gave earlier, it's, it's safe to say, and what you know of our culture, that it's, it's really not a popular topic amongst American culture either. Um, but Jesus is showing the listener um, that we should desire and work to be a meek person. Why? Like, What, what, what does a person gain to be, to be meek? Um, it, it seems counterintuitive to what culture celebrates and, and deems as successful. So I want us, because that, that word meek, meekness isn't used a lot in our culture, I want us to kind of break this down and see um, kind of develop uh, throughout this, this, uh, this sermon what meekness is and define uh, meekness. So meekness is often interchanged uh, within the New Testament um, with the same Greek word used for gentleness. Um, and so in, uh, in Galatians chapter five, um, verse 22, Paul walks through these, these fruits of the spirit um, and he kind of names them all out, um, love, joy, peace, um, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Um, and so each, each one of these things that, um, that, that Paul lists are fruits, are um, results of being filled with the Spirit. Those who are in Christ have a new identity. They've been, they've been saved. The flesh has been put to death, um, and they're now um, full of the Spirit. And so um, he challenges them to walk in the Spirit. Um, and so to exercise um, these disciplines of the faith, um, these fruits of the spirit. So one of those that he, that he highlights is, is, is gentleness. Um, and so like we said, it's often interchanged within our translation um, with meekness. Um, and so sometimes when you see the word gentleness, you can apply the word meekness to that as well. Um, with these being fruits of the spirit, they're not gifts. Like they're not something that just happens overnight. Um, a fruit is something that must be um, must, must be, uh, there, there's work that comes into gardening. There's work that comes into producing um, fruit. And so, um, so pruning must take place. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, it must be developed through toil. And so meekness is something that's developed over time. It's something that's, that's, that's worked on. It's, there's a discipline um, to developing weak, uh, meekness. 
another way to help us understand what meekness is is to know what, what meekness is not. Um, meekness, contrary to cultural belief um, and practice, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is sometimes misunderstood with people um, who seem to be passive or timid. Um, culture kind of writes them off as, as, as weak um, and, and timid and passive um, when in, in some realities, um, some realities they could be, some realities they're exercising meekness. Um, and so uh, those who are meek are actually quite strong. Uh, th- these people that, that, that are exercising meekness have developed the discipline of controlling their strength. Um, if, if you, um, if you any, if any of you have ever been around uh, a horse, a horse is a very large and strong animal, very powerful. Um, and, and, and so when, when a horse is wild, it, it just, I mean, the power and, and the might of the horse is just whatever it wants to do with it. But when you break a horse, um, it, 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 the, the strength is, um, is, is brought under submission uh, to the control of the bridle, um, and the strength is now controlled. Um, and so that's an example for us, a picture of, of meekness. Um, if you've ever read uh, John Steinbeck's uh, novel of Mice and Men, there's a main character in, in the book um, named Lenny. And Lenny is this, this massive man um, with an immense amount of strength. Um, and, and Lenny's problem isn't that he doesn't have enough strength. His problem is that he doesn't know how to control his strength. And so he's got this friend named George, and, and George benefits off of Lenny's strength. And, and so they've, they've got this friendship. And so when, when Lenny uses his strength for good, it benefits others. Um, but we see throughout the story many, many times where Lenny's not able to control his strength, and he ends up killing things. Um, and and, and, and it's, it's tragic that his, his strength, when it's, when it's wielded well, um, it, it brings about good in others, but it can also bring great harm if it's not. And so um, another example is, is um, me as a father. My, my kids don't want a weak father. Um, they feel safe and they benefit from my strength as a man, but my strength must be controlled. I can't, I can't just fly off the handle um, and, and, and use my strength for whatever I want because um, that does not benefit them. Um, picture... Picture the kind of dad that, um, who thinks it's really cool to, uh, to, to play basketball with his son and dunk on an eight-foot goal and, and throw his son's stuff and, you know, yeah, that's what you get. You know, that, 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 that's not acceptable to us, right? We don't look at that and say, man, that guy's good. We, we look at that as, that's, that's pretty lame, right? And so, so that would be a terrible use of strength as a father, um, but the father who would lift, their, lift his son up to to let him get closer to the basket, to put the ball in. He's using his strength to benefit his son and not himself, not his own self-esteem or his own self-worth. He's using it to benefit his son. So for us, a better definition of meekness would be a controlled strength used to the benefit of others. Um, So not an out-of-control strength that benefits ourselves and and we do what we want with our strength, but a controlled strength um, that's used to the benefit of others. So in Matthew 5, 5, Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And so um, Jesus, in, in, this, in this, uh, this blessing, this statement, he's referring back to um, one of David's psalms in, in Psalm chapter 37. Um, I think we're gonna have this on the screen. You can turn there if you want, but we'll have it on the screen. So Psalm 37, David um, He's talking about how, to, how trusting in the Lord um, produces meekness. So let's look at this, verse five. Uh, 
It says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And so remember that our natural and current um, cultural context um, is, is to win, to be successful, um, to conquer, and sometimes at all cost, um, to try and get everything for ourselves. Um, but think about, think about who's writing this psalm. This is King David, um, one of the most esteemed kings in all of, all of uh, Israel, the history of Israel. And so um, in, in, in 2 Samuel chapter eight, um, it lists out the different kingdoms and territories um, that David and his armies defeated. Uh, at the end of chapter eight, it says, and the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. So wherever David went, um, God gave him victory. And, and so, to, so to remember that, that this, this king, this powerful king, um, didn't, he didn't get puffed up in himself thinking that he was the one, he and his mighty armies were the ones that, that conquered all these things, but he recognized that it was God, that he, um, in, in verse five, commit your way to the Lord and trust in him and he will act. Um, and so David is, is showing us what it means to, to trust in God. Um, and he even, he even says, um, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Don't fret about the guy who prospers with evil. Don't take it into your own hands to, to carry out justice in, in those, those situations. He says God will take care of them. Um, they'll get what they deserve. So, so David has an immense amount um, of trust in God's provision for his people. Um, and that trust is an expression of his meekness, um, him controlling his strength and relying on God's strength um, to provide. So as I was studying, there's, there's a story that, um, that, uh, that came to mind. Um, so back in, in 2007, um, one of my younger brothers was graduating high school, and uh, I'd driven back out to West Texas um, to my parents' house to, uh, to go and um, watch graduation and celebrate. And, uh, and, and so... We, we get there and we're kind of hanging out in, in the living room and tons of family in the house and, and I'm, I'm kind of doing something else but I, I overhear my grandfather um, having a conversation with, with somebody else um, and, and he's, he's telling this story and it kind of piqued my attention. So my, my grandfather grew up in the Great Depression, um, was, was a faithful um, man of God, had six kids, my mom was one of them and uh, owned his own plumbing business, was just a very... Um, faithful man of God, um, and um, he was the kind of man that when he when he spoke, you kind of you stopped and you listened. You wanted to hear what he had to say, and so he's 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 telling somebody what had happened about two or three weeks before this that that they were they were driving down the interstate in West Texas to go visit some other family, and they stopped into this gas station um, to get some to get some gas, and uh, my grandfather starts filling up, and this man that works for the gas station comes out, and he. He, uh, he points at my grandfather's tire and he says, hey, sir, your, your tire looks flat. You want me to, to add a little bit more air to it? And uh, he goes, yeah, sure, that, 
go, go for it. Uh, thanks, that's awesome. And so man starts to put air in the tire and my grandfather and my grandmother go inside, use the restroom, whatever. And as they're coming back out, um, the man says, hey, I think, I think it's, it's not holding air. I think, I think there's a leak. Do you want us, you want us to fix it? Sure, yeah, go for it, fix, fix the tire, thanks, that'd be, that'd be great. And so they go back in, they sit and they're waiting for him to fix the tire. And uh, about 10, 15 minutes go by and the man comes back in and he says, he says sir, I, come outside, I wanna show you something. And so he had pulled the, the rim, he pulled the wheel off the rim and uh, my grandfather said he walked up to the tire and the guy said, see, look, look inside the tire right here, there's a, there's a cut all the way through and so there was this, I mean, something had split the tire all the way down the middle on the inside, not the outside. And, uh, and my grandfather was like, these, these tires are like a couple months old. Like I hadn't had them that long. And, uh, and the man, he's like, you want us to replace it? And my grandfather's like, well, I guess, I guess we've got no other, no other choice. And so he goes back inside and the man comes back in about, about five more minutes and they had taken off all the other tires and showed him, see, look, same thing. And I, by then I started picking up. I was like, this guy took advantage of you. Like this guy took the tires off, cut the inside of them. And, and then now he's making you buy a new set of tires. And I started to get furious. I was like, I was like man, what, what did you tell him? What did you, what did you tell the guy? And, and my grandfather said, he said, well, I, we, I said, how, how much is a new set? And, and, and so he handed him the credit card. And, and, and so I began to get furious and I'm like, why didn't you call us? Like I would have driven over here and I would have told the guy what I think. I would have, I would have said, man, no, you can't do this. You can't take advantage of people like this. And I said, why, like, what, what's the deal? And my grandfather looked at me and he said, he said, Nick, we're, we're gonna be okay. Like we trust that it's just money. Like God's gonna take care of us. And he didn't feel the need to respond um, with, with his wrath, with his words in that situation. He trusted God um, and moved on. And, um, so it, as I read that passage in, in Psalm 37 of, of trusting God, even, even when we're wrong, even wronged, even when we feel like we deserve to, to respond in a way with, with our, um, our strength and our power, um, that, that God says, trust me, trust, trust that I'm, I'm, gonna, um, I'm gonna take care of it. Um, the evildoers will get what they deserve um, and those who are meek will inherit, inherit the earth. Um, so in the scriptures, there's only two people um, who have ever been referred to as meek. The first was Moses, and then the second one was obviously Jesus. Um, so in Numbers chapter 12, there's a story where Miriam and Aaron, um, they, they get kind of, um, it seemed like people were always getting restless at, at, at Moses. <laughs> um, but they, they get kind of upset, and they're like, they're like man, had, has the Lord only spoken through Moses? What about us? Hadn't, hadn't the Lord only, has, hasn't he also spoken through us? Don't we, don't we deserve a little credit as well? Um, and Moses, is, it says in, in verse three, now the man of Moses, now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people um, who were on the face of the earth. And so Moses didn't respond back. It says that he, he remained quiet. He very well could have. He, he could have used that moment as, as, as a moment to assert his power and his authority over them, that God has entrusted me to do this. You better submit. You better, you better, just, you better just take it. Um, but but he, he, stay, he stays uh, steady, and instead he trusted God. Um, and then if you read the rest of chapter 12, right after this, God hears 
God heard Miriam and Aaron say that towards Moses, and he says, hey, you three, Aaron, Miriam, and Moses, get out of the tent of meeting. Come out here. I want to talk to you. And it, I picture, like, this father, like, sitting down and talking to these siblings about something that, you know, they did to wrong the other one. And, and it says that God appeared in a pillar of cloud, and he rebuked Aaron and Miriam. And he said, how dare you challenge my servant Moses, who, is, who, is, who has been entrusted um, with, with the role that he's in. Um, in doing that, you go against me. Um, and, and he rebukes them for speaking against Moses. But the cool thing, and I think the encouraging thing for us is that, um, remember how we talked about earlier that meekness um, isn't a gift. It's not something that happens immediately, but it's a virtue that's developed over time. Um, if, if you know anything about the story of Moses, his life, he, he wasn't always meek. Um, when Moses was younger, he actually struggled, struggled a lot with anger um, and acting on his own accord, taking matters into his own hands. Um, he, he once murdered an Egyptian taskmaster who he saw physically oppressing one of, one of the other Israelites. Um, and so he, he thought in doing that, um, in, in beating this guy to death, that I'm gonna show my people that, that I'm gonna deliver them from, from the hand of Pharaoh, from, from the oppression of slavery. And so he thought, man, I want them to see me being this big leader and I'm gonna do this. Um, but, but that was not, that's not what, what God had planned. Um, he, he, took, he took matters into his own hands and he acted rashly. Um, and, and later on, we see through the power of God, through the spirit of God, Moses is transformed into this person who's, who is meek, um, who submits his strength and his, um, his desire um, under the power of God and trusts God. Um, and he, he controls his strength to be a meek leader of God's people. So another, another way to define meekness, um, what meekness is not, meekness is not taking matters into my own hands. Meekness is submitting my strength to the strength of God and trusting in his strength. So let's change gears a little bit. Um, let's go back to um, the, the people that are listening to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, and these people are more than likely pretty confused with, with how, um, how Jesus is teaching. He's using lots of paradoxes. He's saying lots of things that, like, wait, man, what, what's, what's, this guy, what's this guy talking about? Um, but if you read ahead to the end of chapter 7, um, in Matthew, it says, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So these beatitudes that Jesus is, is these blessings that he's teaching are with authority. Um, each, each beatitude has two parts, the habit or the virtue, and then the promise. Jesus is giving the listener the assurance that the hope of the hope that this kingdom of heaven is something that is not of this world. And to those who live like they are not of this world, that they'll inherit the world. Um, another passage that kept ringing in my mind all week um, was, was this passage in Mark chapter eight. Um, Jesus says in Mark eight, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And these passages really hit home with me um, this week for, as, as a father. Um, like I said earlier, we, we live in a culture um, that celebrates uh, and, and values self-inflation and power and winning um, and conquering. Um, how, how many of you guys have ever experienced at a, at a, a water park a lazy river? 
Anybody? Okay, I feel like there's a lot of sermon illustrations you can use with the Lazy River. Some are a little grosser than others, but um, so sometimes, so my wife and I, our family, we've, we've lived in the Metroplex for about 11 years, and, uh, and um, sometimes I picture life in the suburbs as a, as a, lazy, as a lazy river, um, where, you, where you get this nice floaty, you sit on it, there's everybody around you, and you're all going the same direction, and you're just kind of letting it, letting it carry you. Um, everybody's kind of moving the same way. We've got the same, uh, we've got similar goals for our families. We've got similar goals for our kids' education, their sports, um, and their social lives. I mean, it's so easy for us just to like sit there and go with the flow of suburban culture. Um, I, I struggle with it um, daily, weekly. Um, and if we haven't noticed, the Lazy River isn't shaping our kids into meek people. Um, it, it's, it's, it's doing the opposite. It's showing them that, that you, you're number one, get what you, get what you want, get what's best for you. Um, and, and so Jesus said, in order to inherit the earth and to one day rule and reign with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth, that we must be meek. It seems backwards. It seems, it, it, it's totally upside down. So remember, meekness isn't, it's not very popular um, within our culture. Most of us don't think during the week, you know, we're sitting around like, man, I should really be more meek, you know? Um, and so, because of that, we, we probably haven't even asked ourselves what it looks like for us to desire to raise meek kids, um, to, to disciple and shepherd our kids to be, to be meek. And this is obviously way easier said than it is done. Um, nobody wants their child to experience rejection or to be made fun of um, or to be bullied. Um, most of us wanna see our kids win, conquer, um, dominate, um, but because of our fallen nature, power and winning and conquering give us this sense of this, this false sense of security, right? That if, we, if, I, if I build up for myself enough power, that if I feel like any of it's slipping, I can just use it to crush whoever's underneath me. I um, mean, that's, that's, that's the opposite of meekness. Um, and, and so we, because of the sinful nature, we find ourselves even, even leading our kids towards that and showing our kids that, that, that that's, what, that's, what, that's what's valued. That's what, that's what creates safety and, and security um, is building these things up. Um, but Jesus' teaching shows us that in order to inherit everything in the life that is to come, we must die to these self-exalting uh, things in this life. So there's two, there's two different kingdoms at play. There's a kingdom of self and the kingdom of God. And so the kingdom of self um, tells us to conquer, to win, to gain power. Um, but the kingdom of God tells us to serve, to consider others better than ourselves, and to trust God. To teach our kids to be meek um, is to teach them what to value. Um, so uh, if, if we teach them to value power, fame, fortune, um, it'll be very difficult for them to develop a life of God-exalting meekness. If we teach them to love and value self over everything, Meekness will also be difficult to attain. But if we teach them to value dying to self and to consider others more valuable than themselves and to hold loosely the things of this earth, then we'll raise young men and women that are meek and that hold the promise of inheriting the earth. What better opportunity to give your child than to shepherd them towards a life of God-exalting meekness? It looks pretty lame to our culture, um, but it's treasured in the kingdom of heaven. So uh, one of the things we talked about earlier was that meekness isn't, it's not weakness. 
Um, so if, if we tru- truly believe that meekness isn't weakness, then when we do that, we're not raising weak kids. We're not raising kids that can't fend for themselves, that can't lead, um, that can't uh, affect change. Um, we're, we're doing the opposite, actually. We're raising kids that, that have the discipline of controlling their strengths, kids that submit those strengths um, and those gifts to God to use them for the good of others. Lord willing, meek kids grow into meek adults, right? Um, and they become men and women who don't use their, their strengths to glorify the kingdom of self, but they use them um, to serve others, um, to defend the defenseless, to care for those um, that are less fortunate. At the end of Mark 8, that passage that I quoted earlier, at the end of that, Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? And if we look at this beatitude, the promise that Jesus gives us is that those who are meek, those who submit um, their strength to God, those who hold loosely the things of the world, they will gain it all. They gain everything in the world to come. And so this redefines um, what we look to as success um, in ourselves and for our kids. Um, it, it redefines how we, um, how we look at a successful marriage. In Ephesians chapter five, um, the Apostle Paul's uh, talking about wives and husbands. I'm just gonna kind of read a couple different verses in here. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so there's meekness that's carried out in marriage. There's gonna be opportunities. There are opportunities where some situation happens in your family and you're right, you know? And you, you have the chance to either, you know, really drive that home and, and say, yeah, I'm right, I told you. Or to be, to be meek in that, in that is, to, is to not assert power and dominion over that, um, but to be, to be humble um, and to show meekness. Um, meekness is also being teachable, um, being approachable. So all throughout scripture, um, God has shown displaying meekness to his people. The story of redemption is a story of meekness. In Romans chapter two, it says that, that God is rich in kindness, forbearance, and patience. And that all of that, all of those attributes are meant to lead us to repentance. So meekness is not weakness because God is meek and God is not weak. His strength is controlled and used for his glory and for our joy. God would have every right to completely wipe us out because of our sin, but instead he he chooses to send his son Jesus to show us meekness in the flesh. And so for us, meekness, meekness is a choice. It's a choice to submit your strength under the strength of God, a choice to not exalt yourself, but to humility, a choice to display the strength, power, and glory of God. And Jesus did this for us. Um, in 1 Peter chapter two, it says, when, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no, no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross 
so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, God, the example of Jesus um, in meekness. God, we thank you that he, um, God, he submitted to the will of the Father to come and to suffer and die um, an unjust death. God, that we who were deserving of, of death and separation from you, um, God, that, that you have, um, you poured out that punishment on him in our place. And uh, God, we thank you for the hope that we have in that. God, that um, those who are meek, um, God, will be joint heirs with, with Christ um, and rule and reign with him in the earth that is to come. And so God, we thank you for the hope that we have in that. God, we pray that, um, God, that you would give us uh, a, a desire to, uh, to pursue meekness. Um, God, a desire to die to self got a desire to see you glorified in your strength and your, um, got in our lives being lives of worship towards you in response to what you've done. And so God, we pray that you would do that um, in Jesus' name, amen.